Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast called Paranormal Exposed. This is an evidence-based podcast that looks into paranormal occurrences that happen here in the United States. I'm your host, Michelle, and I am a skeptic by nature, but I really do want to be a believer. I am both intrigued by the paranormal and open to the possibilities of what might be out there. Join me every Wednesday as I dive into a different paranormal topic and present to you what is real, what is not real, and what may just be in between. I will present both the historical facts as well as the paranormal reports, and we will see where the two meet. Join me in exposing the paranormal. This week's episode is part two of a three-part series on the exorcism of Roland Doe. If you haven't listened to the first episode, I'd highly recommend it, as you might be a little lost if you don't, as this episode is a continuation and starts exactly where the last episode ended off. The second episode moves us from Cottage City, Maryland to St. Louis, Missouri for the most part. Now, where we left off last week is we left off with Robbie having had multiple exorcisms, but we found that his symptoms were actually only ramping up. We ended off with Sunday, March 20th of 1949. It was a pretty terrible night with various symptoms from Robbie, including self-urination, foul language, and creepy singing. Robbie eventually fell asleep that night in the early hours of the morning, which brings us to the next day, Monday, March 21st of 1949. The family had been in St. Louis, Missouri for two weeks, and everyone was mentally and physically exhausted. To help the family and Robbie, it was time to make a change. They decided that it would be best for Robbie to go to the Alexian Brothers Hospital. Here, he could be more safely restrained and have a room where he could scream and exhibit violent behavior without disturbing anyone outside of his room. I mean, to this point, he had been staying with family and they were having a hard time keeping him there. I mean, they weren't sleeping either. That evening at the hospital, the rites of exorcism were again read, though there was no response at all from the spirit or the demon possessing Robbie. Eventually, everyone left except Robbie's dad, who stayed with him all that night reading prayers until Robbie fell asleep. Robbie was actually pretty fearful of the hospital, so the next day he went home to his uncle's house, where the same old horrid things happened while the priest tried to exorcise the demon from Robbie. Since the hospital scared Robbie and the family wasn't dealing with this well, they found a room for Robbie at the St. Francis Xavier College Church Rectory. At the rectory, Robbie began instruction of the Catholic faith and began working towards converting from being Lutheran to being Catholic. He and his father shared a room there with two beds, and the exorcisms continued. From Robbie, the violence also continued, the urination, the passing gas, and the true violence. And when I say true violence, I mean it was bad. In the course of that night, 
he broke one of the priest's nose and gave the other one a bloody nose. In addition to this violence, he also began exposing his privates to everyone around him using vulgar gestures and suggesting lewd acts between him and anyone who would listen. This continued for hours till, again, Robbie finally passed out into a deep sleep. This continued the next day with the language becoming more and more explicit, and Robbie began talking of seeing the priests that were helping him in hell in the future. That Friday, March 25th, saw a few small signs of possession, but Robbie seemed pretty much normal though he was a little bit restless. For three nights after this, Robbie seemed completely fine. He had no signs of possession or outbursts, and the priest remembered an ex that had appeared previously on Robbie, with them interpreting that it would take 10 days to rid Robbie of the demon. It had been 10 days, so maybe it had all finally worked. Maybe the demon was gone. The next day, Thursday, March 31st, Robbie complained of just not feeling well. And the disturbances began again. Though Robbie stated he now saw words that appeared in his head that looked like they were written on a blackboard. His family began transcribing them and wrote down what Robbie said. He stated, quote, I will stay 10 days, but will return in four days. If you stay and become a Catholic, it will stay away. God will take it away in four days after it has gone 10 days. God is getting powerful. The last day when it is quiet, it will leave a sign on my front. Father Bishop, all people that mangle with me will die a terrible death. End quote. So the demon had possessed Robbie for 10 days and was gone for four days. So now for the rest of the prophecy. The priests were surprised to get a call from Robbie's family as they thought the boy was finally free of the demon that possessed his body. They return that evening to help and continue attempting to exorcise this demon. During the exorcism this night, Robbie requested a pencil and began writing. He wrote again about the 10-day stay and the 4-day hiatus, though he also wrote that he was the devil himself and that they would have to pray for a month in the Catholic Church but he also wrote that he would make Robbie's parents hate the Catholic Church. Robbie wrote that the demon, or devil, as he called himself, stated that in 10 days he would leave a sign on Robbie's chest. Robbie then drew a face and labeled it as a dead bishop. He wrote, you may not believe me, then Robbie will suffer forever. When asked to respond in Latin, Robbie drew random, nonsensical marks. This is strange because priests usually ask the demon or devil to respond in Latin, as this is a language that would be familiar to the demons, but not so much to people living in this day and age. 
April Fool's Day came, and this was the day Robbie would be baptized into the Catholic faith. The family was driving with Robbie to the baptism when he began feeling strange again. He then stated, quote, So you think you are going to baptize me? Ha <laughs> ha. And you think you will drive me out with Holy Communion? Ha <laughs> ha. End quote. Robbie was sitting in the passenger seat of the car when all of a sudden he grabbed the car steering wheel and attempted to run the car off the road. His uncle was driving and luckily was safely able to get the car pulled over on the side of the road. His family then had to forcibly remove Robbie from the passenger seat and push him into the back seat of the car. While in this spell, Oddly, the radio in the car would not work. He fought the whole time and tried to fight during the drive as well. He even attempted to attack his aunt who had to drive the car so that his uncle could sit in the back and hold him down. When they got to the church, it took three men to carry Robbie into the building as he was fighting so hard. And they knew this wasn't going to be an ordinary baptism, so they decided to take Robbie to a bed. On the way to the bed, he fought, cursed, and spit the entire time. The baptism ended up taking a lot longer than it usually does, as Robbie would have to verbally renounce Satan in order to accept the rite of baptism. But when asked to do so, he would go into an extremely violent fit. Eventually, after hours, the baptism was completed, though the exorcisms and the violence continued throughout the night. The next day came, and usually mornings were pretty uneventful and calm for Robbie and his family. The worst would happen at night. Though this morning, Robbie awoke throwing and breaking things. This was probably the demon acting out as Robbie would be receiving his Holy Communion that day. They began the rituals without any issue from Robbie. When the prayers began, he started becoming a little tight-lipped and kicking out, but was easy to keep in place unlike his normal crazed outbursts. Though the hard part would be getting Robbie to eat the sacred wafer that represented the body of Christ. When the wafer was brought near his mouth, he'd go into fits. And if they could actually get it into his mouth, he would spit it out onto the floor. After two hours of trial and error, they began praying from the official exorcism book and the rosary. And finally, Robbie was able to swallow the wafer and accept his Holy Communion. When leaving in the car, he again acted out trying to run the car off the road. And the exorcisms continued that night with outward signs of possession all night. He would mock the Latin phrases, repeat words back to the priest, and he also tore pages from their exorcism book. Deep red scratched words would appear on Robbie's body again, including the words go and X and three parallel lines. Robbie was nervous all night between bouts of possession and begged to return home. He didn't want to be in St. Louis any longer. He wanted to go back to Maryland. 
Sunday was, of course, another day of hell for the family, but Monday did bring a change. That morning, the family did leave St. Louis, Missouri to return home. Robbie was ready to go home, and his father couldn't take any more time off work. Also, the Missouri family was overwhelmed with all that had happened, so they figured it was best to go back to Maryland. The train ride home was pretty uneventful, and Father Bowdern received permission from the church to continue the exorcism over there. They wanted Robbie to be placed elsewhere other than his home, but the local hospitals all refused to accept Robbie into their care. I mean, who wants to take in a boy who's breaking people's noses and making lewd behavior, right? The priests knew that he needed to be somewhere, so they actually reached back out to the Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis, who stated that they would make room for Robbie and assist as they could. The next few days were pretty uneventful as the demons seemed to be allowing Robbie some respite, luckily. Then, on April 7th, after a day of normalcy, the evening brought about the return of the demon's hold on Robbie. Robbie struggled for five hours during the exorcism that night, and 20 or more wounds appeared on his body in that five-hour period. Some were scratches and some were letters or words such as the number four appearing. These marks mostly showed up under Robbie's clothes or under the bed sheet. He did continue to spit, show violent behavior, he would sing, cuss, he'd exhibit lewd behaviors, and he even gouged out the words hell and Christ onto his body with his own fingernails. Robbie then spoke, but it was the words of the devil or the demon or whatever was possessing him. He stated at 2 in the morning that he'd keep the priests up till 6 a.m. But the devil or demon did not keep its word as 15 minutes later, Robbie was asleep. Maybe the devil was trumped by something else. The priests suffered through another terrible night with Robbie the next night. And then on Saturday, April 9th, he boarded the train back to St. Louis, Missouri, and on Sunday when he arrived, he was immediately taken back into the Alexian Brothers Hospital. An exorcism was completed that night with no outbursts from Robbie, and he took communion without any issue. That Monday, April 11th, Robbie had a great day. And that evening, the priest returned to read the rites of exorcism. The easy day of yesterday was not what they were going to get that evening. While praying, Robbie began feeling painful feelings on his body from red blotches to letters. The word exit appeared multiple times on his body, each time pointing towards Robbie's genitals. He also stated his kidneys and his genitals burned and he had pain whenever he would urinate. The priest tried to give Robbie communion, but they couldn't get him to take the wafer. And then the word hell appeared on Robbie's chest and then on his thigh, along with scratches across his entire body. The devil told the priest he wouldn't let the priest give Robbie communion 
and every time they tried, he'd have seizure-like activity, so eventually they had to give up. He also had violent and vocal behaviors, but they were worse and lasted longer than they had in previous sessions. And they also kept continuing on into the next day. Wednesday, April 13th, Robbie was able to take communion that morning without an incident. And he went on to explore the religious grounds, but he did experience some outbursts. At one point, he tried to run off the ledge of the property, which would have probably killed him. But luckily, one of the brothers was able to stop him and take him back into the hospital. That evening, before the exorcism began, Robbie began seizing. The devil stated he would leave at 11 o'clock that night, but not without a fight. The violence was ramped up that evening with cursing, horrid behaviors, and all this lasted all night. When asked to respond in Latin, he mocked the priest by speaking in pig Latin instead. By 11 o'clock, the devil was still in full swing. They attempted communion again, but the devil wouldn't allow it. The priest continued the exorcism through the night, and the brothers at the hospital helped in any way they could. The Alexian brothers began around the clock praying to help Robbie his family, and to help support their fellow priests. April 14th, 15th, and 16th fell on important days to the Catholic religion. They were Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. Nothing happened during these holy days. The brothers at the hospital dedicated a new statue of Our Lady of Fatima in the hospital and petitioned for her to help Robbie through these times. They also promised devotions to her should Robbie be saved from this devil possessing him. To further help Robbie, a statue of St. Michael was placed in his rooms as the prayers for St. Michael seemed to be the most effective during the exorcism. We now come to Easter Sunday. While most in the Christian faith are focusing on attending mass, finding Easter eggs, and enjoying time with family, Robbie was at the hospital, away from his family, fighting a devil inside him. That morning, after four attempts, Robbie finally took Holy Communion. Afterwards, one of the brothers sat reading Holy Scriptures to him when all of a sudden, Robbie jumped out of bed, spit on the brother, took the book from him, and grabbed a religious scapular the brother had lying on the chair next to him. Robbie threw the scapular to the ground, dancing and stomping on it. He screamed, quote, I will not let him go to Mass, end quote. They couldn't get Robbie to Mass due to his outburst that day, which ended as soon as Father Bowdern arrived. Later in the evening, Robbie had an episode so bad he had to be carried to his room by multiple brothers. After he was put in his room, the priests immediately began another exorcism with violent outbursts continuing. The devil threatened to kill those people who had overtaken Robbie and would kill them with a knife. Robbie woke up and asked for a knife so that he could cut his Easter egg. 
Needless to say, he was not given a knife. The day after Easter, on Monday, April 18th, the worst day the priest would have to face came. Usually the mornings didn't start off terribly for Robbie, but this day was eventful from the very beginning. When Robbie woke up at about 8 a.m., he tried to kick the brother sitting next to his bed. He then grabbed the holy water bottle and smashed it up against the ceiling. One of the priests came in to help and try and give Robbie communion, but after many attempts, they found it impossible to complete the sacrament of communion. Instead, they completed what is known as a spiritual communion without Robbie having to ingest the wafer of Christ. The voice of the so-called devil called out that one of the devils was now gone, but 13-year-old Robbie would need to make nine more communions for him to leave. They tried over and over again, but they couldn't complete another communion ritual due to the outbursts of the demons. Robbie had to be able to say he wished to receive Jesus into his soul through prayer, and the devil wouldn't allow it. He could only get out the quote, I wish to receive you. The devil would laugh and taunt them, saying he'd never let Robbie say the word needed. The devil went on to brag he would always be in Robbie and proceeded to send Robbie into violent fits, vocalizations, urinations, and his usual horrid behavior. They tried to give Robbie food, but he just threw dishes, shattered plates, and anything he could get his hands on, he would destroy it. In the meantime, the priests had been researching exorcisms performed in the past and got some new ideas to try. That night, the priests decided they would ask for responses from the devil in English versus Latin and they would place holy relics on the boy despite his requests against this. They proceeded to quietly read the Latin exorcism prayers. Robbie would parrot back the Latin phrases and ask their meaning. When they placed a cross in Robbie's hand, he fought hard and at times threw it to the ground. He was then taught and read through scripture and religious texts but would also go in and out of demonic states. Whenever he was out of one of his states, he would be adamant that prayer was very, very important. He stated he felt a change. When he came out of one of his episodes of possession, he stated he could see more light at the end of a dark tunnel. As the night progressed and the episodes gained higher in number, that light got brighter and brighter though the signs of possession didn't lighten up. The religious icons that had been placed around Robbie's neck were left on, even though Robbie stated they felt like they were burning his skin. Whenever Robbie was presented with a relic and asked to interact with it, he would go into a fully possessed state. During each state of possession, the priest, Father Bowdern, would continue his prayer though this time asking for responses in English versus Latin as he had done in all the previous exorcisms. Father Bishop was backing him up reading an exorcism prayer, and at 10.45 p.m., 
nine and a half hours into the start of things that day, Robbie began having seizure-like activity again, but seemed calm and peaceful, unlike in previous episodes. He stated, quote, Satan, Satan, I am Saint Michael, and I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominus immediately. Now, now, now. End quote. The seizures then became more violent than they had ever been before. They could see Robbie was fighting with all that he had left in him. The priests were exhausted, both physically and mentally, but they pressed on. They led their prayers in commanding tones while Robbie struggled for eight minutes in a violent seizure. All of a sudden, the seizure stopped and Robbie looked stunned. In a voice filled with relief, he stated, he's gone. He said he felt normal and fine all of a sudden. They asked him what had happened at the end and Robbie remembered it all. He said he saw a bright white light and in the midst of this light was a man with long hair wearing a white robe that appeared scale-like. He could only see the man from the waist up. In the man's right hand, he was holding a fiery sword, and with his left hand, he was pointing down into what looked like a cave. Robbie looked down into the cave and saw the devil standing there. He said the cave was extremely hot. He could feel it, and he could see that it was filled with fire. The devil stood in the cave laughing up at the man, but the man just smiled at Robbie and spoke the word Dominus. As he did, the devil and ten of his demons ran into the fire of the cave. Robbie then felt a pulling in the pit of his stomach and a snapping feeling before feeling completely relaxed. After prayers with the rosary, Robbie went peacefully to sleep, and he was able to take Mass and Communion the next day. Thankfully, after this day, Robbie was free of the demons or devil that possessed him and had no further episodes or issues. The church wanted to keep this secret. The diary that the priest had kept to keep track of events were locked up and kept hidden away in the church and all those involved agreed to keep it a secret. No one wanted this to impact Robbie's life any further than it already had. Though, unfortunately, the press did catch wind of what happened eventually. On August 20th of 1949, the Washington Post published an article on Robbie's exorcism titled, Priest Frees Mount Rainier Boy Reportedly Held in the Devil's Grip. Luckily for Robbie, his name was kept completely out of it, and the town he was from wasn't correct, so people were having a hard time figuring out who this boy was. The leak came from Robbie's former pastor they had reached out to at the beginning, Luther Schultze. He'd been speaking about the case at a parapsychology meeting, and it got into the hands of the press from there. After all the events that transpired, a book 
and movie were written based on these events as well. Most everyone knows of The Exorcist, but how many people know who Robbie is? Well, if you don't know, you are about to. Before I reveal Robbie's identity, though, I wanted to recommend an amazing podcast for all you paranormal enthusiasts. It's called Haunted UK, and you won't want to miss this one. Here is their trailer. Are you interested in stories of ghosts, poltergeists, and the paranormal? Do you love an amazing tale of an unsolved mystery? A strange disappearance? How about a UFO encounter, or even a first-hand sighting of a creature that should only exist in your nightmares? Why not join us over at the Haunted UK podcast, where every two weeks we delve deep into the tales of the strange and unusual, the unsolved and the downright weird. The Haunted UK podcast is available on all major platforms, as well as being on Instagram and Coffee. So why not give us a follow and get involved with the show? Thanks for listening, and we really hope that you'll join us for our next episode. And on that note, it's back to the show. I hope you enjoyed the trailer and will give the Haunted UK podcast a listen. All of their episodes are amazing, but make sure you keep a special eye out for their episode releasing this Friday, October 7th. It is the second episode in an exciting podcast collaboration series covering the topic of the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts. There are actually eight podcasts covering this huge spooky triangle. So you will have eight episodes to listen to as they drop throughout the month of October, in perfect time for Halloween. And in this series, there's something for everyone, from paranormal and hauntings to cryptids, aliens, and even true crime. Keep an eye out on social media for all the podcasts participating and when each of the episodes will air. Paranormal Exposed is participating in this exciting series, and our episode will be coming out towards the end of October, so make sure you keep up with all the episodes dropping. Listen to the Haunted UK's episode to be ready for this exciting series, as well as make sure you listen to all our episodes. After listening, make sure you rate and review their podcast as it really helps them out. And if you haven't, don't forget to rate this one as well. Now, it's time to learn Robbie's true identity. For 72 years, people have been trying to figure out the identity of Roland Doe, or Robbie. Though very few people knew who he was outside of his family, some friends, and those of faith in the church associated with what had happened. Then, in 2021, his identity was finally found out. Robbie's real name? was Ronald Edwin Hunkler. After the exorcisms, Ronald and his family remained in Maryland, where he continued to live as he built his family. Ronald ended up getting married in 1956 and went on to have three children with his wife. He was a very intelligent man and actually went on to work as an engineer with NASA. He worked on the Apollo space missions, 
and was instrumental in making the technology to help shuttles withstand the heat of exiting and entering the Earth's atmosphere. He was partly responsible for the first moon landing. So, in addition to the Exorcist movie, maybe he can take credit for the Apollo movies as well. Sadly, Ronald passed away on May 20th of 2020 at the age of 84 years old. He passed away in his home after suffering a stroke. Though he made it his entire life without anyone finding out his secret and figuring out who he was. Nowadays, with social media and everything at our fingertips, that is pretty impressive he made it all those years. For those who knew him, he was terrified of people finding out that he was the boy who was the basis of the Exorcist movie. So it's a blessing to him that this information was found out after he had moved on from this world that would have tormented him for the rest of his life. Ronald had caretakers that were assisting him at the end of his life as he aged, and one of those caretakers talked of how he was always terrified of people finding out. He only shared his information with those close to him that he could trust. His caretaker stated, quote, He said he wasn't possessed. It was all concocted. He said, I was just a bad boy. End quote. Though she couldn't explain how a Catholic priest showed up at Hunkler's home to read him his last rites. She hadn't called anyone to his deathbed, and neither had he. Now you know the story of who Robbie was and what happened to him. Now it's time to figure out the question everyone asks. Is this a true story? Before I get all the way into the facts, I wanted to let you know I will be posting a link on social media. It is a link that will direct you to the letter and the diary from the priest. It's where I pulled a lot of my information about what happened during the exorcism, but it's pretty interesting to read it all the way through. So make sure you check out the social media and follow that link. I'll also, of course, be posting pictures and such, so keep an eye out on Instagram and Facebook. Something to keep in mind is there were many witnesses to Robbie's possession. There was family members as well as at least 10 religious figures. Speaking of religious figures, let's start with them. The diary was from Father Bishop, and he kept it pretty detailed without overplaying anything. It seems pretty legit if you read it through, and he reportedly truly believed that Robbie was possessed. Then there was the man named Holleran, who was present for three weeks of the exorcisms at the end at the Alexian Brothers Hospital. He was one of the men who usually held Robbie down during the exorcisms. Halloran became quite famous for giving multiple interviews on the case. The issue is we don't really know what to take seriously with Halloran is, as his story changes quite frequently. In interviews, Halloran did state he never heard the boy's voice change and thought that the boy did not state any Latin words and was only mimicking back the words he heard the priest say. This statement is corroborated by the diary of the priest saying he spoke in a language but only mimicking back the phrases that were taught by the brothers. 
When asked if the bed ever moved, Halloran stated it moved across the room, but that it was on rollers and he had been leaning on the bed when it moved. Also, when asked about the marks appearing on the boy, Halloran stated that no one had checked Robbie's fingernails to see if he had done it to himself. He then stated he was skeptical that the boy was ever possessed. Then, in another interview, he stated he saw Robbie's bed raise up on its own repeatedly over eight inches into the air. He also said he saw objects inexplicably fly across the room. So, taking Halloran into account, we really can't depend on what he says either way. The other witnesses are all family, so let's talk about Rambi's family life now. He grew up as an only child in a home with his parents and his grandmother. Per Father Bishop's records, Rambi's father and grandparents were Catholic, though they weren't practicing. And his mother was a practicing Lutheran, as was Rambi. In interviews with Rambi's best friend, the story was a little different. He stated that Robbie's mother and grandmother were highly religious people who embraced spiritualism. This brings us back to the purported spiritualist Aunt Matilda, who died just before the start of the paranormal phenomenon. There are reports saying that it is believed that she abused Robbie, but there is no proof to support this. The issue I have with Aunt Matilda being the spirit or why the family would believe it was her is that Aunt Matilda died on January 26 of 1949. But Robbie and his grandmother first recorded the phenomenon on January 15th, 11 days before Aunt Matilda died. Also, I'm not sure why everyone assumed Robbie and her were really close. I mean, per census records, she lived her entire life in Missouri, over a day's train ride away. And with her diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, traveling would have been really difficult, if not impossible for her. And I doubt the family was doing a ton of traveling back and forth, so I'm not sure when Aunt Matilda would have taught him spiritualism or formed a tight bond with Robbie. Therefore, I wonder why the family thought that the spirit might be Aunt Matilda. If spiritualism was pushed, it would possibly have been by Robbie's grandmother. He was left alone with her while his mother was in St. Louis. I'm assuming it was to see Aunt Matilda on her deathbed. His grandmother may have done some spiritual steering while they were gone. Would Robbie have been open to this? I mean, to know that answer, we would have to dive into Robbie's head and see who he was. Per his best friend and his best friend's brother, Robbie wasn't a nice or normal kid. His classmates disliked him and he was prone to violent behavior. They stated he was also spoiled and kind of mean, but they would hang out all the time even though the three of them fought quite a bit. To put you in a better mindset of the type of kid Robbie was, his old friend told a story. A stray dog had wandered into the neighborhood by Robbie's house. It was a mean dog and people shied away from it so it wouldn't bite them. But Robbie worked his way into becoming best friends with the dog. And the dog warmed up to Robbie, though he would bite anyone around except Robbie. 
One day, Robbie invited his best friend over. And when his best friend got there, he saw Robbie peeking out of one of the basement windows. And then all of a sudden, he heard the back door slam shut. That's when he knew he was in trouble. He knew what had happened as apparently Robbie had done this to other kids. He took off running as fast as he could as he heard the dog coming up quickly behind him. Luckily, he made it out of the yard and the fence before the dog could bite him. He said later that day, Robbie called him laughing about what had happened. I mean, he could have been mauled by a big dog. Apparently, he regularly pulled pranks on people to scare them, including his mom and the neighborhood kids. So, not the nicest kid around for sure. His friends were asked about the desk incident where it was shaking and turning, and this happened on Robbie's last day of school. They were in class, and Robbie was sitting at his desk. And it was the kind of desk where the seat is attached to the desk, it's all one piece. All of a sudden, the other kids and the teacher in the class heard Robbie's desk shaking, and when they looked, they could see it moving with Robbie sitting in it. The teacher yelled for him to stop, but Robbie said he wasn't doing it. The teacher got mad and sent him out of the class for disrupting it, and he never came back to school. The friend couldn't 100% state whether Robbie was doing it or not. Robbie was taken out of school in the middle of his 8th grade year that day. He was then enrolled in a new school he was starting in January of 1949. He started his new school, and about two weeks later, the possession phenomenon started. So, was Robbie possessed? That's hard to say. I mean, there's no video or photographic evidence. We have to rely completely on hearsay and the writings of the priest. There are some discrepancies about Robbie actually being possessed. I mean, he was going through a lot mentally. I mean, let me paint a picture of his life at that time. His aunt was on her deathbed and his parents were away leaving him alone with his religiously fanatical grandmother. He was in his 8th grade year, which is a time that's filled with hormones and trying to figure out where you fit in. And in the middle of school, he has to leave his best friends and start at a new school. Could he have used all the feelings he had bottled up inside to get his way? I mean, his grandmother was very spiritual and might have been open to the pranks or tricks that Robbie was playing to get out of class. Maybe it was halfway planned and halfway he couldn't help it. He could have been struggling with depression, having a mental breakdown. Manic depressive episodes can lead to some of the episodes that Robbie displayed. During some of the episodes, Robbie had pain in his kidneys and during urination, which could have been an advanced kidney and bladder infection which, if untreated, leads to confusion, hallucinations, and many other issues. With enough fluids and treatment, it could have been resolved. Then you have to think about all the behavior that was witnessed by many people. Were they all gullible to this boy? Did they all lie? Maybe they all saw what they wanted to see. 
it seems like there has to be something, right? But then you have the confession of Robbie as an older man stating that he was just a bad boy and he wasn't possessed. So who do we believe? Was Robbie possessed? Did he have telekinesis? Was there something paranormal involved? I mean, there's a lot of theories and ifs in these facts and if it happened or not at all. The question is, what do you think? I'd like to know your thoughts on whether you think Roland Hunkler, aka Robbie, was possessed or not. Did his body house multiple demons or was he just a troubled kid? But this story doesn't end with Robbie. The paranormal activity associated with Robbie's exorcism seemed to continue on the set of the movie based on Robbie's story. The film we all know as The Exorcist. Tune in next Wednesday to hear the third and final installment in this three-part series on The Exorcism so you can get the full story and decide what you think. Remember, if you haven't already, make sure you rate and follow this podcast wherever you tune in as it helps move this podcast forward and lets you know when a new episode is ready. So you'll be ready when episode three of this series airs. I will be posting some interesting photos and links of this story. So make sure you follow this podcast on social media, on Facebook at Paranormal Exposed, on Instagram at The Paranormal Truth, or you can always shoot an email over to paranormalexposedpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will catch you for the third installment of this series next Wednesday.